0: Today, we are here with Oleksandr Matvichuk. Oleksandr is head of the Ukrainian Center for Civil Liberties, an organization set up 15 years ago to work for the protection of human rights in Ukraine, which won the Nobel Peace Prize in 2022. In April, Time magazine featured Matvichuk among its 100 most influential people of 2023, with former U.S. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton commenting, by documenting Russia's atrocities so perpetrators can face prosecution, she is the living proof that women are not just victims of war, they can be agents of peace and justice. Alexandra, Welcome to IMD.
1: Thank you for invitation.
0: Alexander, before joining CCL, uh, you work for the Association of Ukrainian Banks. What drove you in this uh, important change in your focus and scope?
1: When I was in school, I got acquainted with Ukrainian dissidents who fought against the whole totalitarian Soviet machine. And I was so inspired by the example that I decided myself to study law and to fight for freedom and for justice. But because I'm from a poor family, I started to work very early and I had a vision that I can combine. I will make successful commercial career and also will do something good for society. But doing business in authoritarian countries, it's very difficult. And after our president of Association of Ukrainian Bank criticized the financial policy of uh, former president, next day, we found ourselves in situation when the tax police arrived and they make fabricated fine for the company. And this was a turning point for me. I understood that I have to choose and I have to concentrate on fighting for freedom and for human rights. Because without this, without this system of rule of law, You can't do business successfully.
0: So, in relation to the challenges that are now being faced to protect and advance democracy and human rights in Ukraine, what do you think is the way forward?
1: Victory for Ukraine is not just to repeal Russian troops out, restore international order, release people in Crimea, Luhansk, Donetsk, Zaporizhia and other regions of Ukraine. But victory of Ukraine also means to succeed in democratic transition of our country. Just to build a country where the rights of everybody are protected, government is accountable, judiciary is independent, business can develop and police do not beat students who are peacefully demonstrating. And we have no luxury just to concentrate on survival. The problem and the challenge is that we have to move further on this path of democratization. And everybody knows that making transition is difficult even during the peaceful time. And it's extremely difficult to make a democratic transition during the large-scale war.
0: You stated lasting peace requires justice and justice requires accountability. How do you balance the need for justice and accountability with at the same time the need for dialogue and reconciliation with the perpetrators and their supporters?
1: I think we have to define peace very properly, because Ukrainians need peace much more than anyone else, but peace doesn't come when country which was invaded stop fighting, it will be not a peace, but occupation. And occupation is horrible. I worked with the meditation on war crimes for nine years already. And I know that Russian occupation is not just changing one state flag to another. Russian occupation means enforced disappearances, tortures, sexual violence, filtration camps, denial of identity, Forcible deportation of Ukrainian children to Russia, forcible mobilization to Russian army, and mass graves. This is Russian occupation. It's not a peace. Peace means opposite. Peace means that people can live without fear of violence and have a long-term perspective. And we are fighting for sustainable peace in this war.
0: And actually there are several threats and challenges to democracy and human rights uh, not only in Ukraine but beyond. What do you think uh, the way for the world to address them effectively?
1: I think that unpunished evil grows, and Russia is a clear example. Because for decades Russia persecuted their own civil society. Russia killed journalists, jailed activists, dispersed peaceful demonstrations. In parallel, Russia committed horrible war crimes in Chechnya, in Moldova, in Georgia, in Mali, in Syria, in Libya, in other countries of the world. But the well-developed democracies close their eyes to it. They still continue to shake Putin's hand, uh, to do business as usual, uh, to build gas pipeline, and suddenly they reveal that when you base your decision only on economical issue or some geopolitical interests, even when you succeed and benefit in short term, you will evade for catastrophe in long term. Because for current moment, Russia believes they can do whatever they want. And Russia tried to demonstrate that country with a strong military potential and nuclear weapon can break international order can dictate the rules of the game to the entire international community and even forcibly change internationally recognized borders.
0: And here we talk about also the involvement and the importance of the international community. Uh, Last weekend, the US Congress refused to approve additional aid for Ukraine. And uh, although the White House uh, since expressed uh, support and willingness to continue uh, help, it is also true that a number of, in a number of other countries, uh, there are some political parties that are challenging this view and challenging the continued support to Ukraine in this war. What, what do you think this could potentially mean for the way forward of the country?
1: First of all, I want to emphasize a very important point, which is still not visible for people. This is not just a war between two states. This is a war between two systems, authoritarianism and democracy. And Putin tried to convince the whole world that democracy, rule of law and human rights are fake values because they couldn't protect you during the war. If Putin succeed, it will encourage another leaders in the world to do the same. It will push even democratic governments to invest money, not into education, healthcare, development, new technologies, support of local business, not in solving like problems uh, uh, on global scale, I mean climate change or social inequality, but they have to invest their money into weapons and we suddenly can find ourselves in a future which will be dangerous for everyone, without any exception, because our world is not just uncertain. Our world is very interconnected, and this means that democracy has proved that they can win the war. And here's a tricky question, because we as Ukrainians are very grateful for all support which we received. And when large-scale invasion started, the civilized world told, let's help Ukraine not to fail and Ukraine obtained first weapons to be able to defend ourselves. The first serious sanctions against Russia were introduced into force. But this is a time to change this narrative to another one. Let's help Ukraine to win fast, because there is a huge differences between let's help Ukraine not to fail and let's help Ukraine to win fast. And we can practically measure these differences in types of weapons, in speed of decisions, in gravity of sanctions.
0: So you partially answer also already to my next question, that is, what are your specific recommendations and, and, and wills, uh, if you wish, for the international community, uh, especially the EU and the NATO, to support uh, Ukraine's sovereignty, territorial integrity and defense of its democracy?
1: Maybe I will answer in this question not just from perspective, as a Ukrainian citizen, but from perspective as a citizen of the world, because I'm a human rights lawyer and I have been applying the law to defend people and human dignity for many years. But at present, I'm doing my job in the circumstances when the law doesn't work. Russian troops deliberately shelling residential buildings, schools, churches, hospitals, museums. They attack evacuation corridors they manage filtration camp system, they organize forcible deportations, they commit murders, tortures, rapes, abductions, and other kinds of offenses. And entire system of peace and security on international level can't stop such Russian atrocities. So may I ask, as a citizen of the world, how we people who live in 21 century will defend a human beings? Can we rely on the law or just brutal force matter?
0: Over the course of the last uh, year, together with uh, a colleague uh, from the University of St. Gallen, we have uh, done an empirical study uh, looking at uh, the extent to which uh, Western businesses that had equity presence uh, or affiliates uh, in uh, Russia had divested and exited from Russia over the course of the first uh, 10 months uh, since the invasion of Ukraine. Our results show that uh, um, this was in the range of 5 to 13% and we looked at and we studied actually the push and pull incentives that are driving the reactions of uh, businesses to uh, these geopolitical events. In a moment and in a world in which uh, geopolitics uh, is set to play a larger role uh, in the economy and in the operations of companies around the world. And obviously Ukraine and the war and the invasion that Russia perpetrated in the country is a living example of this. It would be very uh, interesting to understand what you really believe international business community can and should do to help countries such as Ukraine move forward in their protection of democracy, peace, and human rights?
1: Russia currently is discussing and adopting their budget for the next year. And according to the numbers, we see that Russia is preparing for a long-lasting war. And the military expenditures now prevail all other expenditures in this budget. So all Western companies who still sell in Russia have to be aware that they finance this bloody war and this is their responsibility. And I think we have to change our approach, I mean, way of thinking, way how we perceive in this world because the problem is not just in fact that in authoritarian regimes the space of freedom is shrinking to the size of a prison cell. The problem is that people in well-developed democracies start to forget the importance of democracy, rule of law, and human rights. Because they inherited their system from their parents, they have never fought for it. They take it for granted. They, their business benefic- benefits because they have rule of law system and can protect their property and assets. They can express their entrepreneurship talent and do successful job. And it's beyond the common sense, being a beneficiary of this system to help enemy of the system to ruin it. Once again, we have to think not just globally, but on long-term perspective. Even if you benefit in short term, you will evade for catastrophe in the long term and now it's very visible for Ukrainian like uh, this war started not in february 22 but in february 2014 in part of the country Crimea part of lugansk and Donetsk region were occupied and i witnessed how for some part of Ukrainian business it wasn't their problem they told we are business we just want to do our job and now they found ourselves in the circumstances when they can't switch off the war from TV because this war become a part of their daily life. War have different dimensions, not just military. People started notice that the war is going on when only bombs falling on their hands. But war has economical dimension, informational dimension, and value dimension. So I urge Western business to be on the right side of the history.
0: What we are seeing these days, and indeed a number of businesses um, have decided to exit uh, Russia, we are also seeing and we are learning a lot more as time passes and unfortunately the, the war continues. Uh, that uh, the Russian government has set up a series of impediments, legal impediments, but also actually menacing and going after uh, the, the personnel of those companies that are willing to uh, and, uh, give up uh, on, on, on the businesses, making it a lot more complicated. And so actually from a legal perspective as well, setting up decrees that make it impossible for Western business also to exit. in um, in, in a legally uh, proper uh, way. This is also uh, an important uh, novelty, if you wish, uh, that is likely to reconfigure and influence the the way businesses think and act in international market. On the legal standpoint, this clearly means that also a number of companies are being exposed to uh, changing legal requirements. around the world and more specifically, and this is the case of the Russia as a geopolitical hotspot. So from a legal standpoint and in the international community, do you see any way forward or do you see it as a much more complex environment where to operate in which indeed, as you mentioned, indeed also business leaders, um, no matter in which sector they operate, they will be asked much more to have uh, a deeper uh, role in society and a much more active understanding of the role they play in services and dealing with stakeholders around the world?
1: It's a difficult question which uh, needs a long answer, but I try to be short. I understand that it's not possible to stop trading with all uh, countries uh, who are not democracies in the world. That business uh, have their own goals and they try to navigate uh, between different uh, regulations and context just to be uh, effective. But first and foremost we are all human beings and only then we are lawyers, we are businessmen, we are journalists and other kind of professions which people choose in their life. And a lot of things in our world which have no limitation in national borders. And freedom is such things. And human solidarity is such a thing. And only spread of freedom make our world safer and provide for business possibility to operate freely. So I think that business has to be aware of this s
0: and and it's very likely that uh, this is also something that is likely to influence uh, right the way of doing business the way forward and the way uh, businesses look at their presence uh, in countries around the world uh, on the way forward and in times of war what really does responsible business leadership look like and here I'm referring to both uh, leaders within Ukraine but also outside Ukraine to support human rights and we have heard and we hear continuously incredible stories within Ukraine of responsible business leaders going the extra mile to do what they can uh, to support uh, the country in a very difficult situation.
1: May I provide example uh, uh, of international organization while answering to this question. Because when large-scale invasion started, international organizations evacuated their personnel. They leave us alone. And when I think in why they did it in such a way, I understood that they were created to be with people in a time of crisis. But during these decades of working, they elaborated in numerous internal regulations about security, conflict of interest, transparency, etc., etc. And maybe it's good working during the peaceful time, but in a time of crisis, you need something else, but not these internal regulations. You need to express your leadership, your courage, your historical responsibility, and even break or change these internal regulations if they don't provide the opportunity to fulfill your mission and to save people's lives. and This is a very good lessons learned for business, for international organization, for, for other kinds of institutions. But what I want to say in positive in this regard, when you can't rely on international system of peace and security or legal instrument, you can still rely on people. Because ordinary people remained and ordinary people started to do extraordinary things. It were ordinary people who took people out from the ruined cities, who broke encirclement to provide humanitarian aid, who helped to survive under artillery's fire. Ordinary people started to do extraordinary things. Ordinary people reveal the best in us, Uh, how to be courageous to fight for freedom and to help each
0: other. Let me move here uh, to a more uh, personal area. So what is uh, Alexandra doing as a leader, as a, as a human rights defender in a hostile environment? What is the source uh, for yourself, for, for your resilience and what is your motivation? What really drives you?
1: When large-scale invasion started, we faced with unprecedented numbers of war crimes. And we united our efforts with dozens of other organizations, mostly from different regions. We built all Ukrainian network of local documentators. And working together, we jointly documented, since 24 of February last year, more than 52,000 episodes of war crimes. And among those uh, crimes which I documented Personally, because for nine years of the war, I interviewed hundreds, hundreds of people who survived captivity. And they told me horrible stories, how they were beaten, raped, how their fingers were cut, their nails were turned away, they were smashed into wooden boxes, their nails were drilled, they were tortured with electricity connecting to their genitalia. I never forget how one woman told me how here, I was dug out with a spoon. It's a horrible story. And working with people directly who survived the hell, I'm confident they, they need to restore, not just their broken life, broken families, broken vision of the future, but their broken belief that justice is possible, even though delaying time. And this motivates me, because I do believe that in 21st century, We have an obligation to restore international order and to provide a chance for justice to all people affected by this war, regardless who they are, their social position, the types of crime they endured, and whether or not international organizations or international media are interested in their cases. Because I do believe that the right and the life of each person matter.
0: Your work is exemplary. Um, You are an exemplary leader um, that is facing such a horrible uh, environment. Uh, What do you think are the qualities uh, uh, for leadership these days? So how actually we can translate this into more responsible leadership in the age in which still these things happen?
1: I think the problem is that we live not in just post-truth era, we live in post-knowledge era, when people lose their importance, meaning of knowledge. Because when you have everything um, available to Google in five seconds, you start to think whatever you have to hear to professors from university, if they're so smart, Why is it can't have one million subscribers in Instagram? So something tremendous uh, shift is going on in the world, which uh, push millions and millions of people uh, to simplify the life. But life is not simple. We need to find a complex answers to the complex questions, and we need the voice of intellectuals and civil societies in different countries who are able to return the moral thing into our life, because there is a huge difference between be effective and be efficient.
0: Advancing the cause of peace, democracy and human rights is a challenge and is a continued challenge around the world, and this is a testimony. Of the huge challenges encounter. The Nobel Peace Prize has just been uh, uh, granted also this year. And how I'm interested to hear more of how your views about how you, you see the prize playing a role in this, uh, uh, in this fight towards uh, uh, more democracy, more human rights protection, more peaceful society.
1: Let me first say a couple of words about. A recent uh, awardees, Nargis Mohammadi from Iran, she's now in prison and she was awarded Nobel Peace Prize because of her courageous struggle for the rights of Iranian women. And I want to use this opportunity to, to express my solidarity with her struggle and the struggle of women in Iran because our future depends on their success. Once again, our world is very interconnected. I live in Kiev. And my native city is constantly being shelled, not just by Russian rockets, but also Iranian drones. And if authoritarian regimes cooperate, we as a people who believe in democracy, rule of law and freedom have to support each other even stronger. And returning to your question, the voice of human rights defenders for decades wasn't heard from our part of the world. Maybe we was hurled in some premises like uh, UN Human Rights Committee or OCE Human Rights uh, Dimension meeting, but not in the rooms where political decisions were taking place. Because we always said that human rights and peace is inextricably linked. Country who violate human rights, it's a threat not just to their own citizens but to the peace in the entire world. And now the Nobel Peace Prize provides us opportunity as human rights defenders to make our voice more tangible.
0: Alexandra, thank you very much for being with us here today. It has been really an honor hosting you here at IMD. Thank you again. Thank
1: you very much.